Hello, my name is Ayana Major Bay, and welcome to The Artist Pivot, a weekly conversation with artists about their current pivot, past pivots, and every pivot in between. On this episode, I am joined by Tavia Reve, who was a performer, director, and former communications coordinator for the LA Chamber of Commerce. After earning her communications degree from Chapman University, Tavia returned to the arts, performing in shows including the inaugural cruise ship cast of the Disney Fantasy, Royal Caribbean's Hairspray, the national tour of Motown the Musical, and most recently, Disney's workshop cast of Aida. We discuss her decision to move out of New York City after living there for 10 years and how her creative energy has led her to this new role of cultural coordinator. Now, y'all, we had some technical difficulties, but we made it through. Here's our conversation. So, hey, girl. Hey, girl. How you doing? I am good. I'm good. good. I'm hungry. Good. Trying to put up with this internet. The Lord is, you know what? The devil is testing us today, but the Lord, he is, oh, he is faithful. And Come you know, on. Okay. Always, Always honey. Because we, we will, y'all will hear this podcast today. Amen. Okay? Amen. Okay. These internet issues we've been having, these mic issues we've been having. He you gonna hear stop. us he today? Will not stop this message. Uh uh-uh, uh, mm-hmm. he won't. He will not stop this message. You will not stop it, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Yes, but yes. How are you doing? What's I'm what's good. up? What's going on in your life? Not girl. I am over here. I am on the West Coast. Um, well, I'm not coast. I'm in Vegas. I fled New York. When was that? May. You know, we'd been stuck in the house in that pandemic for two months. I said, you know what? I got to go home. I got to get out of here. So um, my our lease was up in June and my father is out here retired in Vegas. And so it was like, okay, well, he needs somebody to hang out with. So I just came on home, which was difficult um, because I, I, with the way that the industry was going, I didn't know if or when I would be returning to New York. So when I left New York, I was leaving with the intention of not coming back, um, mm. which was really depressing. <laughs> uh, it right. was just, you know, I had kind of just resolved that maybe New York wasn't right for me anymore. I had been there for 10 years and right as things were about to pop off, the pandemic happened and it didn't look like Broadway was coming back anytime soon. So I was like, you know what? I think maybe God is trying to tell me something. Let me go home, save my ducats and figure something else out. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I think we all kind of had that thought when the pandemic hit that was like, oh, okay. Right. What do we, what do, we now? do now? Right. Exactly. Like, okay. So are we going to be on unemployment forever? Like, and I, you know, it's so funny because I think back to March when everything first happened and we were so hopeful, you know, we were like, oh, by May, right? Like, it was like, oh, we'll be back right. by May. Oh, yeah, we'll have, you know, I'll be able to go on. I was, you know, I had tours and things lined up. I was like, oh, by the summer, we should be fine. And it's like, wow, we're not even close to the finish line. And it's been all these months. It's kind of surreal thinking back on the moments when we were so hopeful. Right. <laughs> and now right. we're just like, yeah, nah, it's real. Girl. I know it's so real it's so that real. that hopefulness we had of like oh yeah okay leaving New York great I'll be back in like three months mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like I'm just gonna go home for a few weeks by the time yeah I'm gonna go home hang out with my family you know like there was a mm-hmm. there was a luxury there was a um, there was an excitement I don't want to say excitement that's not the right word but there was 
a bit of a relief when it first happened because I know a lot of people who had been hustling nonstop, right? Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of people who were like, I was kind of praying for a break, but nobody Mm. anticipated (laughs) this, you know, it's that thing. You got to be careful what you ask God for. You got to be real specific. Uh, Right. Right. He has a sense of humor. He, she, mm-hmm. they uh, have a sense of humor. So yeah, we we got the time off. Little... We did. We most certainly got the time off. <laughs> Just a little bit more than we anticipated. But yeah, here we are. Right. Here we are. Yes. Mm-hmm. We, mm, with that time off. Yes. All but that's time. true. That's I mean, that's our life, right? Is that hustle in the city or even, I mean, not even New York. If you're an actor in, you know, LA, Atlanta, Chicago, performer in general, that's mm-hmm. That's our life is the hustle. And we most certainly got the break. And I remember thinking myself that it was like, oh, yeah, I'll be home for a couple of weeks. Like, it's like I'm in between contracts. Mm-hmm. You know how you come back. Yes. Oh, OK, I'm home for a couple of weeks and then I leave again. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah, that was exactly what it was. And I um, I actually got I'm, I'm pretty sure I had COVID at the time. They couldn't test me. But uh, Broadway shut down on March 12th. And on March 14th, I had a fever of 103. Wow. Um, and so it was the kind of thing, you know, Mark, it was still so new. We were still so naive about what exactly it was and nobody had the resources. I was living in Harlem and I, I just remember I, like that entire week I was in the middle of a workshop and that entire week I had been feeling a little fatigued, but I mm-hmm. just thought that it was the dancing, you know, I was like, Oh, it's yeah. probably just cause I'm moving so much and we're working hard and I'm exhausted. Um, but I didn't have like the traditional, I didn't feel sick or anything. I never lost my sense of smell, um, at least that in, that entire, that, that week. And then I think when Broadway shut down and I had a moment to stop and my body was like, no, winch, you're sick. Like something is wrong. And right. so I woke up that Saturday morning with 103 fever and everything that happened that weekend was kind of a fog. And then it was gone. The fever went down. I called urgent care that Monday and was like, you know, I, I had a fever this weekend. I still have my sense of smell. I'm feeling a little fatigued and a little dizzy at times. And they were like, if you can breathe, please don't come in. (laughs) I was like, wow. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. Got it. So I just quarantined, hold up and I was in the house. I, I know that my roommate and I didn't leave the house except for maybe for maybe groceries like once or twice for like four weeks. We did mm, not leave okay. the house. Luckily, right. we've got a rooftop so we could go upstairs and, you know, get some fresh air. But we did not leave our apartment building for four weeks. Mm-hmm. And but it was just the kind of thing where you were like, OK, well, this is temporary. You like we assumed that it was temporary. So it wasn't until a month later when I decided, you know, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go back to Vegas um, because nothing is nothing is happening here. And it was becoming more and more apparent that nothing, nothing would be happening for a, a while. Right. Right. And so, yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. I understand. I understand. That's for all of us. And I think that, you know, it's been wonderful for for some people to um, find new ways to keep themselves busy. You know, I think that that's kind of what happened with 
a lot of us who have had to now pivot, it was just like, okay, I got to do something. I can't just be sitting here. Mm -hmm. I've got to find something creative to do. And you know, it's part of our creative energy. We want to invent, we want to create, we want to have some sort of an output. And so, um, that, that was exactly kind of what happened with me. I needed something to look forward to because everything that I had been anticipating, everything that I had been planning obviously kind of fell through and it was mm-hmm. like, okay. And I took, I, I'm not going to lie. I took a moment. It took, it took mm-hmm. a second mm-hmm. where I was like, Oh my God, what is life? And then there was just, there was another moment where it was like, okay, well, you've cried long enough. <laughs> you got, right. you know, you can't do this for the next six months. So, or however long this is going to last. So what's the next step, you know? Yes. Um, and I think, you know, we were talking earlier about us all being hustlers. That's what we've always had to do. We've always had to pivot. Like you said, we've always had to reinvent ourselves, um, so that we can, so that we can survive, so that we can mm-hmm. stay busy, so that we can survive, so that we can exert our our creative energy, and that's been one really fascinating thing about the pandemic is recognizing and learning all of the things I have to offer, all of the things that I am able to do, and seeing everyone else flourish in in new and creative ways. You know, things that right. people probably would not have invested in prior to us having all of this free time. Um, they are now, you know, really investing in and taking the time to learn, to do, to create, and completely uh, discovering new sides of themselves. So that even if and when we do come back, even, you know, when theater comes back and the industry comes back, we have this whole new set of skills. We've got this whole other, you know, toolkit that we can pull from so that in the times where things get a little rough, as they always will and always do, Mm -hmm. we have something else to reach to. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that makes sense. So I know that you now have a new business. Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah. So um, I created a role called cultural coordinator. After the murder of George Floyd, you know, I was in New York kind of doing nothing for a couple of months. And it was also hard, you know, for those of us in the theater industry, there was you know, people were doing all of these Zoom readings and all of these, you know, lives and were being asked. And I didn't feel like that was happening for me. You know, Mm -hmm, I didn't feel mm -hmm. like I was getting requests to perform. And so I was, you know, I was feeling a little down about that. And um, then of course I had to, I, I made the decision to move out of New York for the time and move back to Vegas with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like the end of May. And so that was kind of depressing. <laughs> and then, right, right. Um, you know, George Floyd was murdered and I was, I was grateful to be home, but it was also very difficult because I was so far away from the community that I've known and loved and grown with for the last 10 years. Right. And so as protests and everything was ha- were happening across the country, I was seeking ways to be vigilant. I was seeking ways to contribute. And as, you know, hashtag Broadway is racist and all of the exposure that was happening regarding our industry, our theater industry, I had, I really wanted to take a look and say, well, where can I be useful? Where can I be resourceful here? What can I do to, to help out? And I started doing research. I've always been, you know, I got my degree in communications from college. I got a, a degree in communications with a minor in PR. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I did before I, I got back into the theater and entertainment industry. I was a communications coordinator at, um, 
LA Chamber of Commerce in Los Angeles. And so I was looking and listening to all the stories and the testimonials that people were, were speaking about uh, in marginalized communities. And a lot of it just continued to repeat itself, right? A lot of it sounded mm-hmm. the same as far as not having a resource, having to advocate for themselves, not feeling like they had anyone to go to, not feeling like the production understood some of the micro behaviors that were oppressing them, you know, Um, and then being villainized when they did speak up. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing some research on intimacy coordinators and intimacy coordinators became very prevalent after the Me Too movement. They had existed before, but they became very popular um, after the Me Too movement when a lot of women were speaking out about how they had been violated or, or uh, you know, mistreated on set. And so I started studying that model and I was like, that's what we need. That's what we need in our industry. That's what we need in theater and entertainment in general is somebody in a a third party, a neutral third party to monitor and mediate and be an advocate for the performer or anyone of a marginalized station, you know, anybody in a non-dominant group Mm -hmm. who may feel um, muted or uh, oppressed or villainized in some way. And so I kind of reached back into my, my little communications toolkit that I hadn't used in quite some time mm-hmm. and built this role. And um, <laughs> the, the crazy thing is, is that I was like, I, I remember at the time, you know, you remember the beginning of June after George Floyd was murdered, yeah. everybody wanted to build something, right? Every, mm-hmm. There was all these mm-hmm. coalitions and collectives and, you know, groups and all of this stuff. Everyone wanted to be of service and everyone wanted to lead the charge I didn't, I've never considered myself an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I've never really wanted to be. My mother is a a Mary Kay director. She's on her eighth car, eighth car? Yes. Seventh or eighth (laughs) car. Um, And she's always trying to, you know, Tavid, if you want to sell, you know, want to sell Mary Kay just to make a little money. I'm like, I am not a salesperson. (laughs) Like, that is not (laughs) what I want to do at all. You know, I don't, I don't want the responsibility of um, owning a business, having my own business. Like that's nothing that I ever wanted to be a part of. So when I developed this role, I took it to equity and a few other groups who, um, you know, kind of were heading their own thing. And I was like, this is an idea I have. Do you want it? Mm -hmm. You know? And everyone was like, oh yeah, maybe. And perhaps, and Oh well, we could use it if it if it looked this way, and after a while, I just kind of got discouraged. It wasn't they weren't no's, they weren't mm-hmm. deliberate no's. They just um, they weren't strong yeses, and I knew that it was something that was necessary in our industry, you know. Yeah. And after talking with Bliss Griffin at Equity, she pretty much encouraged me and uh, set me on an action plan to build my own business. And so I kind of just, I took it on. I filed for a DBA, um, which is one step under LLC. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, I started speaking with multiple, you know, with intimacy coordinators, intimacy coordinators of color, um, the diversity editor, other, you know, other people and individuals who kind of do something similar to this work. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, created a, a role. I had my friend put up, you know, put the information on my website, add it to my, my performing website. Mm-hmm. And um, just kind of, I put the information on Facebook, like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I can, you know, what I can be for you. And um, I realized you know, I'd actually, when, when all of this was happening and I, I think I forgot to mention. So yeah, when I was, when I was coming up with the structure and listening to all of the testimonials, I remembered last year, last summer, I worked on a show at New York musical festival mm-hmm. called freedom summer. And it was, uh, directed by a Latinx woman written by two young white men from Baldwin Wallace. And it's uh, it's the content surrounds 1964 Mississippi, two white men and one black man who were killed in 1964 Mississippi. So the cast was half black, half white. Okay. And I came in as an assistant director. Um, the director was a friend of mine and she was like, you know, I could use your eye and your ear on this. Can you, you know, come in and help? And I was like, absolutely. I'd love to. Mm-hmm. So. I walked in as the assistant director, really anticipating just kind of being in the background and ended up taking on a much larger role in um, communicating, kind of translating to a degree, uh, editing content, moderating discussions regarding racial sensitivity and cultural, you know, cultural issues that were in the script. You know, there were times where I had to go to the writers and be like, we don't talk like this, you know, like we would never say this. So, you know, I ended up uh, kind of consulting them on some of the edits that needed to be made in the script and provided some Mm -hmm. script adjustments. I remember moderating a conversation about the use of the N word. And um, one of the black actresses was speaking vehemently about some of her experiences and feelings and, you know, Mm -hmm. and I had to later kind of translate for the creative team. This is, this is what she was feeling in these moments. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't want you to be intimidated by this behavior. I don't want you to feel nervous or uh, be unnerved by that. It was not explosive or hostile or volatile towards you. This was Mm -hmm. speaking to her experience. And I think there's a way that we can wrap that into the content, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I, it ended up being a really wonderful experience. I think that I ended up being a a valuable resource for both the creative team and for the actors. And so as I was building the structure, I really recalled that situation and how beneficial I think it was for everyone to have um, kind of a, you know, a dramaturgical, somebody that, that worked on multiple levels as far as the racial content was concerned. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it wasn't like I just, I just created the role and was like, Oh yeah, this would be a good idea. I had actually done it before, (laughs) you know, it was like, I'd actually, I've actually done this before. I know how this should look and how this should work. Um, And I think that we need to implement it in as many entertainment spaces as possible. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I agree with you. 1000%. (laughs) And I actually remember seeing that Facebook post from you and that was, I was like, oh, I need to speak to her. I was like, yep, (laughs) yes, yes. You know, about things in our industry and having that, the knowledge, Mm -hmm. you know, of like, well, this actually isn't appropriate. And there are times that I know I haven't actually spoken up and I know something was inappropriate, Mm -hmm. but for the fear of getting fired. Mm -hmm. 
or for the fear of, okay, I got this, I did the show, but now I'm blacklisted Mm. because unfortunately as black women, if we stand up for ourselves and I'm not saying it with the attitude, I'm saying it just like I'm speaking to you right now. But if I call somebody out on somebody on something, oh, she's angry. She's upset. Mm -hmm. She, no, I was just telling you that this is inappropriate. And I was telling you how I felt about it, a word in the script or something I had to do with another partner. Yeah. I was just telling you how I felt. Yes. But that feels like, but that feels like hostility, right? It does. Yes. Like to, 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 a, a certain to some of the dominant group is, is what mm-hmm. I refer to them as. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like hostility. And right. so my, my job, my service and, and what I, what I hope to bring to these spaces, one, I don't think an actor should ever have to advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really scary. Mm-hmm. And um, if they choose to do that, Absolutely. There are people out there who feel comfortable doing that. They should never have to. In the same way that, you know, working with an intimacy coordinator, a a woman should never have to tell you on set that she doesn't feel comfortable having the entire crew there as she exposes her breasts. You know, like she should never have to say that. There should be Mm -hmm. somebody there to create those boundaries and somebody that she can speak to comfortably without feeling like a tyrant. Um, So yeah, the actor should never have to advocate for themselves. And I, because I studied communication and interpersonal communication, conflict resolution and all of that, I know how to um, kind of quell what can, you know, I know how to deescalate situations. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. in in spaces where things tend to get, and I heard so many heartbreaking stories about, you know, people who were, I call it um, the burden of enlightenment, right? So when you're Mm -hmm. the token black person in the cast and everyone wants to ask you about this one cultural issue. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. That's exhausting. Number one, yes, it it's, is. it's emotionally exhausting. Mm-hmm. It's distracting. If I'm educating you, I can't focus on my work. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and even more, my response can sometimes be deemed hostile or offensive. You know, mm-hmm. my, my response regarding my black experience it can be offensive for white fragility. And so then it, you know, it create. and I heard so many stories like that where people, again, were villainized because they told the truth or they spoke up, even like you said, speaking in a very calm and rational tone, but mm-hmm. it feels, and it's like, nobody should ever be put in that space where they feel like they'll no longer be able to work because they were creating boundaries surrounding cultural sensitivity. Like that just doesn't make any sense to me. And so- if I can at all um, serve that area and 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 um, kind of ease that discomfort, that's mm-hmm. that's really all I, I want to do. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. right. That's amazing. That is amazing. Thank you. Yes, yes, sis. All I like right. It. I like I it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, so and you know, like I, mm-hmm. I kind of just close myself off to the world sometimes because it's it's a little necessary for my mental health. Um, right. The those first two weeks in June, uh, when the protests were really, uh, really high and everything was happening happening at that time i really had to focus on my mental health because it was just mm-hmm. overwhelming and it didn't feel like it was going to get any better you know i had just left new york black lives matter was on the rise um 
COVID was not being dealt with. It was just too much. It was just too much. And it can, it can be really overwhelming. And so I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to stay in all alone in my own little chair, you know, like really in my own little corner. (laughs) Yes. Everybody's in their own little corner right now. You know, really like I just need to stay here by myself and shut out the world a little bit. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. No, that's fair. That's fair. What would you say to performers now? You know, we're still in a place of, we don't know what's happening, but how would you say, I guess, and this also might be a personal thing for you. Like, how do you keep your lamp lit, keep your joy and your peace and just the hope that, okay, I'll get on a stage again, or I'll get on set again, or I'll get in front of an audience again. Mm -hmm. Um, And not to sound cliche, but God, nothing but God. (laughs) nothing but God. And I, I, you know, I know that everyone has a different spiritual path and I'm not necessarily religious by any means, but I know a lot of us grew up in the church Mm -hmm. and I definitely, you know, uh, had some time away, but, um, especially when this pandemic hit and things, you know, contracts started to fall off one by one dreams and aspirations that I had had for years that were finally coming to fruition, were mm-hmm. lost. Um, and I really just had to get on my knees and pray and say, God, it's, I, I can't, there is nothing that I can do. Only you can give me strength. Only you can guide my steps. And um, I keep saying, you know, when people ask about the pandemic and, and all of that, while this year has been difficult. <laughs> I'm talking wrong. It's, 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 it's difficult. Like it's even with faith, it's hard. Yep. <laughs> it is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a divine series of events that happened mm-hmm. that I think are leading us to something greater than we could ever imagine. Right. Right. And you know, when I, when I look at how the pandemic happened and then, um, you know, everyone being home and available for for the for the fight when George Floyd was murdered, you know, and and really having the time and energy to commit and devote to changing and advocating for you know the 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 uh, worth of all lives and and right. or, 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 or people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, that wouldn't have happened if we were all still going about life as usual, you know? And so I think that there is a divine series of events. And like I said, I've just been every morning I wake up and and I'm grateful that I am home with my family and I am safe and I am provided for, and, you know, I'm not struggling or, or stressed in that way, at least. Mm -hmm. And then I ask him to just guide my steps today. Cause I have no idea where I'm going. I have no idea where I'm going. I have no idea what I'm doing. Even when I was building the cultural coordinating, it was like, I, God, God just guide me. And right. I feel like he did, you know, the people that I have encountered, the things that I have created, like I said, I'd had no intentions on building a business mm-hmm. and I just filed for a trademark, you know, like that was not hey. the plan, right, but right. he just put certain people in my path. He put, he put certain opportunities uh, in my path. And here we are. So for me, it's, it's God, it's family, it's Mm -hmm. therapy. Girl, I've been going to therapy. I, you know what, again, but by the grace of God, I started therapy 
two weeks before the pandemic. Girl, I started my right kind of in the midst, like April. And mm-hmm. let me tell you, my me and my therapist, ha, honey, yes. honey. <laughs> Besides the fact that she's the only, that's the only way I know what day it is. That's the only uh-huh, time. I, right? That's the only way I know what right? day it is. I'm like, okay, it's Wednesday. Okay, it's right? you know, okay. that's because I just talked that's to Rochelle. Day. That's how I know. Uh-huh. I just talked to Rochelle. Uh-huh. Me and Rochelle got it, got in the conversation. Um, uh-huh. But yes, so, and again, something that I might not have had time for or really put the effort into if life was going on as usual, right? Right. I may not have committed to getting my mental health together mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. really examining things that had been an issue for quite some time. Um, yeah, yeah. And so therapy, God, family. And, you know, I also think allowing yourself a lot, we're allowed to mourn about yes, this. Yes. I think, are. you know, especially in the beginning, there was just there was this urge for everyone to create and and be, you know, creative and and do all of these wonderful things and oh, this too shall pass and don't be upset and blah blah blah. And it's like, no, this sucks. Like this right. <laughs> it right. sucks. I can be upset about this. I can be upset about this. And like I for a while I had a schedule. It was like, okay, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm going to be productive. Tuesday and Thursday, I'm going to allow whatever emotion (laughs) to Mm -hmm. do what it do, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And if that particular day it meant staying in bed and binging the good fight, then that's what it was. And I wasn't going to feel bad about that or guilty about that. And um, because we lost a lot, we all did. We've all lost a lot and we need to be honest about what it, means to mourn that loss that's so very true so very true oh yes that that's it that's it okay <laughs> cut and print cut and print no um but um tavia i just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story sharing your pivot right now with your new business and what i need to say to you is that i acknowledge you i celebrate you and i uplift you Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. And I love just chatting with you. It was good to just talk to you. I know. I know. It's great to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so proud of you as well. Tavia, thank you so much for sharing. And I want to highlight a few things. First, finding guidance in this time wherever you choose to find it. And second, tapping into your creative energy to keep your light burning. Thank you again, Tavia. And thank you for tuning in. I'll speak to you soon.